Hello and welcome to the United Sisters podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Okoje, but my friends call me Omo. I'm a doctor, a mom, an entrepreneur, business strategist, transformational coach, and the founder of United Sisters, an organization dedicated to inspiring, empowering ladies whilst challenging the status quo. I am obsessed with helping women find their voice and understand their true potential, purpose and passion, regardless of their creed and culture. This podcast is dedicated to helping you up-level every aspect of your life. Join me for today's episode as we unearth the power that already lies within you. Hello, ladies, and welcome again to United Sisters Podcast. This is your girl, Okoje. I am super excited to be here today with an amazing guest. I'm sure when you hear all that she's achieved, you will be super impressed like I am as well. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, but also somebody who is so well respected. It's her name is Dr. Doyu Atewelogu. She's director of Delphin Alfin Alpha. Dr. Doyu Atewelogu is a chartered organizational psychologist and is one of UK's foremost experts on organizational development, diversity, and leadership. Doing is a scholar practitioner, a regular media contributor, and a multi-award winner in recognition of her innovative methodologies for working with differences in organization. She's actually been recently appointed as Dean of Rhodes Scholarships at Oxford University, which is so exciting. She's also worked as Director of Gender and Leadership and Inclusion Center at the Cranfield School of Management. In terms of her consulting work, she her niche is really leadership and inclusion. So it's so great to have doing here with us, doing has work with many FTSE 100 companies, United Nations agencies, legal and other professional services firms in the UK, civil servants for over 15 years. She does adapt an evidence-based approach when working with business leaders to advance inclusion. She's actually led groundbreaking projects for the UK General Medical Council on overrepresentation of minority ethnic doctors in fitness practice referrals. So it's so exciting to have um, doing it here today. Um, I could go on about all her achievements, but I'm just super, super excited to have the academic, uh, someone who is really, really st- really rooted in academic studies, but also practical studies as well in terms of inclusion, gender and leadership. So Doni, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Omar. It's a great pleasure to be here. Oh, so I really just want to find out a little bit about yourself. Tell us how you got into this field. Ah, yeah. So I, I've i always wanted to be a psychologist. So I often say that my home um, discipline, my home profession is psychology. And I was 
very grateful and blessed to have people in my family who helped me understand what psychology was Re really from early from um from before a levels before o levels i wanted to study psychology and but as i got older i needed to understand what type of psychology so i was interested in people i'd always been interested in people and as i started to think about what type of psychology i became more and more interested in how people behave at work so i was able to study at um the university of birmingham which is where you and i met Woo! 20 years ago oh well, don't tell people that <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my age. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it's out of bag now. It's out Say. there. <laughs> um, and then after my psychology degree, I then specialized in occupational psychology, which really is just this another name for business psychology or organizational psychology. Right. And then after I did that, I started working as a business psychologist. And then we became, when we worked in our work, we did many things. And I'm happy to tell you some more about it if you want um, on this uh, conversation. But one of the many things we did was leadership. So executive coaching and leadership development. So I became very interested in leadership. And um, as a result of that, I then started thinking about um, what leadership means for different people, because, of course, I was uh, very different. I was the only black person. Actually, I think maybe there was one other black person who worked in IT in the organization. There was maybe about 150 of us. And um, I think there was one other maybe two other um, people of color, so of um, Indian or Asian um, heritage. Um, anyway, so I became very curious about leadership in the context of difference. And so I started my PhD and, um, and I was also very blessed to be able to continue working while I was doing my PhD. So more or less, that is the start of the journey. I mean, there, you know, I will, very, I will pause now and happy to continue to, to answer any questions to tell you how, you know, how I got from there to, to here. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of your work that you've done so far, so you like looking at differences and leadership. Like, so in terms of there is an issue with women in leadership, what is the main thing that you feel that is really causing that problem, the gap between not just the pay gap in more women actually rising into leadership what is the I know there's several things but what would you say to our listeners is the one big thing um, how do you feel that those things can be overcome Omar, like you said there are many things and I think it is very important for us to acknowledge that there are definitely practical things that can be done but the reason we emphasize many things is to help people understand that 
um, that just one action will not work. I do want to emphasize when we say there are many things that there's also the context, there's the environment. There are many things that the government or employers or other colleagues can do. So again, I think it's very important for all of us to hear that there's stuff we can do, which I'm going to go on to, but there's stuff other people around us can do as well. So in terms of women's underrepresentation in leadership, there are a number of things that seem to happen regularly from the research. One of them is women tend to be slightly more risk averse than men are or slightly less confident than men are. And, you know, sometimes I say that, but I also try to say the opposite because maybe the fact is that men are overconfident compared to women, right? So what we're saying is that the benchmark of confidence generally in organizations is set mostly by men. And if that is the benchmark, then women tend to be slightly lower. So one of the things that we do when we work with women is we say things like, well, go for it. Some of the research shows that, for example, when thinking about their job applications, that women want to, if you look at the competencies, women want to meet all of the competencies and be confident that they have all of this experience before they go for it. But actually what happens generally is that men, they kind of see and they you know, if they meet like 60, 70%, then they're like, yeah, mm -hmm. I'll go for it. So for the women listening, just go for it, even if it's not a 100% match, because you never know. That's one thing. Another mm -hmm. thing is in terms of the relationships. The relationships that we have at work are very, very important. It's what we refer to as social capital. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, men have greater access to social capital that contributes to progression at work. What that means is they have sponsors, mentors, line managers that give them feedback. So let me let me go back to that. Sponsors who advocate for them when they're not in the room. Mentors who show them the ropes. Line managers who give them the feedback that they need. And just friends to kind of tell them what the gossip is. Those are different types of capital. And women but in particular, minority ethnic women do not have that, that type of social capital. So the broad recommendation is to think about how you up your social capital. And in particular, now with COVID, I am particularly concerned that women, in particular women of colour, have reduced visibility in virtual working. And that is something I think we need to pay close attention to. 
What do you mean by that? So when you say visibility and why do you um, say in particular women of minority? Yeah, great, great question. So we were just talking about social capital and relationships. And we were saying how it's important to have friends, mentors, sponsors, line managers who will, you know, kind of help you along the way. All of those relationships, you and I know in a regular working world before pandemic, those things happen in the office, in the corridor, you know, at the water cooler over lunch, at the end of the day, at the bar, you know, to go out, going out for drinks or going for golf, going out to play golf together. All of those things happen in social spaces, physical social spaces that we make ourselves at work. And we know from research that in the regular working environment, that the extent to which you are visible or remembered, or recognized, is reduced if you are a minority in these spaces. So visibility is an explanation, or in some ways, reduced visibility is an explanation for why women and women of color, I tend to use that expression, but I know not everyone, um, you know, uh, likes it. Um, And we can talk about that on another podcast. I have a a blog. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I I just wrote a blog on race terminology. We'll add it to the, uh, to the sources, to the resources for this. (laughs) Yes, please. So, so, um, so, but because of all of these things, because they're social, so, you know, I, you know, they're based on whether I see you, whether I think about you when I want to give you feedback or where I want to go for lunch or whether I want to, you know, hang out with you at the end of the day. So visibility is actually a key contributor to your social capital. Now we're all working from home. Well, many of us are. We're, many of us uh, um, in, in knowledge work, so people who can work using, you know, the internet or computers and that sort of thing, we are, our visibility is filtered through the screen. Our visibility is restricted to formal official meetings. So let us remember, you know, before, back in the day, well, <laughs> I say back in the day, it was only three months ago, but it feels like it's a different time. <laughs> it does, a different era, right? <laughs> Indeed, right? You would be sitting and you could overhear that, oh, okay, these people are going, um, these people are just going to jump into a meeting room to discuss something or People are walking down the corridor and they're like, oh, ah, okay, doing, will you come for lunch with us? Or, you know, we're in the lift and, you know, you're overhearing, ah, you know, this client is coming or this project is happening. Now, all we have in terms of our visibility is from 10 to 1 Zoom meeting, Zoom meeting log on to this those side conversations are not happening anymore. And that is why I am particularly, um, me and a number of other people who are interested in, in women, in ethnicity, in diversifying talent at the top of these organizations, we're particularly worried 
that working in a virtual world might have additional impact on our talented but minority colleagues. Okay, so I I want to go into how we can become more visible, but what I'm what I really want to understand is that isn't visibility affecting everybody as opposed to just ethnic minority groups. So how how is it affecting us more than everybody else? Great, great questions. And, you know, I I say, I I hear that question often when we're thinking about everything generally. So, for example, um, you know, I I hate to use this example. Well, a very very pertinent example is, is COVID, right? So we know that there are um, factors such underlying health conditions, um, where you live, etc. There are different factors. There's a bunch of different factors that affect everyone. But when we layer the factor with ethnicity, you are at heightened risk. So I'm not saying it's that everyone is everyone is visible, and the only people who are not visible are my, people of minority ethnic groups i'm saying that it is the indication is that there will be exacerbated or it will have a differential negative impact over and above everybody else and the reason that is is because just generally we are not very good in organizations at being inclusive. So just generally, we pay attention to people who are familiar to us. We pay attention to people who look like us. Yes, which is human nature. Exactly, exactly. So therefore, if you're under one additional stress, anxiety, pressure, information overload caused by the pandemic, while you're you know, trying to figure stuff out, it's a new change, there's lots of unter- uncertainty, there's lots of stress. On top of that, we're much more likely to actually, um, for our biases to kick in and for us to rely on what is more familiar. So it is likely, more likely that as you are, as a manager, you're not even, it's not even about, you know, consciously saying, oh, I'm not going to talk to doing. It is actually just, you're like, oh my gosh, I just need to get through this meeting. I may not notice that Dewey is not even on the, on, uh, you know, I don't see her video or I may not notice that she's not speaking as much because she's not the one that comes to my mind because I have a lot, a lot to, um, to deal with. So, um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work on bias, on how bias influences our everyday work. So visibility, the opposite, not the opposite, the, um, almost like one of the things that causes, that answers your question, you know, why why is it that a particular group will be more at risk of, um, of, you know, lower visibility? One of the answers is this bias, this implicit bias that we have that is worsened by stress, anxiety, and is worsened when we have to deal with people that we don't know very well. Wow, that's intense. Wow. So I, I guess my main question now is how can we make ourselves more visible? So you've identified that visibility is one thing we, out of many. What can we do to make ourselves more visible? Oh, again, really great question. So the thing that we've 
been talking about so far is we've talked about the, the, the social capital. And we know that work involves both the relationships and the task. Like, you know, very simply, in order to, everything that we know, or a lot of what we know about getting work done has to do with your performance on the actual job, but also your relationships with other people. So with everything, including, um, you know, this idea of visibility in a virtual world, we have to both think about our work. And a lot of us, a lot of us, particularly minority talent, are excellent at doing work well, right? You know, you've got your degrees, you've got your parents telling you to be a doctor or a lawyer. Yep. Or yes, whatever. we've got four degrees, master's, exactly. B, everything. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> me, me too, I think I have four or five, I don't even remember. <laughs> I know. Honestly. So I've stopped putting my titles, all my titles on because I'm like, it's too long now. <laughs> There's no, no more space on the credit card, exactly. on, the, um, on the business, business card. card. <laughs> and on the credit card. <laughs> Very true, on the credit card too. So, so we, we work our work, we do our work, but I also want to say consciously work your network, right? So there's work and there's network. We, I think generally, you know, of course, for all our listeners, you might find, oh, I may need to get a little bit more feedback on my work. I may need to, you know, kind of manage my time because we're working under less than ideal conditions with this pandemic. So, of course, I'm not assuming that everybody has been able to transition from the good work they were doing in the traditional office to, to work now because of kids or family, etc. or setup. But, uh, you know, because we're talking about visibility right now, what I'm differentiating is there's the work and there's the network. So if we're thinking about work, the question now is, what are we going to do to emphasize or to beg your pardon to reinforce that work? Sorry, that network. Okay. So now we've also talked about in the traditional um, place, formal and informal. So in the traditional workplace, remember I said, you know, for example, you know, you you go into a meeting, someone says, okay, doing you're responsible for this part of the project. That's the formal work in formal space. There's the informal space, the lift, the corridor, the et cetera. That, that, is the, that is the angle that we're missing. That is the angle that there's a potential to miss. So what do we do to maximize our connections with different people in formal and informal spaces? That essentially is a question that you're asking. So one of the things that we can do is to broaden our network. So for example, what additional interdependent tasks do you want to, can you get involved in? By that, I mean, you might need to speak to a colleague or a line manager to understand whether there are other projects that are not just dependent on you. You want to spread, you want more people, essentially you want more people to know you and you want more people to know the kind of work that you do. And so one of the ways to do it is to look for interdependent work, i.e. work that relies on collaboration, team, lots of different people, if possible, people that are not even necessarily people that you regularly work with. 
So that is one thing. Just keep an eye out. Right now with the pandemic, there are so many, um, like for, for example, I've been involved in so many task forces. You know, they were like, okay, you know what, actually a group of people need to come together to figure this thing out. We need to figure out the psychological well-being of frontline workers. All right, what are the different people are going to get? Okay, we need to actually think about converting virtual working, um, converting um, like face-to-face um, leadership programs to virtual programs. Let's get a bunch of people around. So there's something around just listening out for opportunities to get involved in interdependent work that is broader than your traditional work. So that is one key thing. Another thing is the regular people that you're in contact with. So again, line manager, colleagues, etc. How can you increase the frequency of that informal connection, right? A lot of us, I know, a lot of us, you know, you have 10 to 11 Zoom call, 12 to 1, you know, MSTs, <laughs> uh, 3 to 5. And we start and we end. And, you know, all of that times, so you remember, you know, you attend a meeting early, you're pouring your coffee, other people are coming and you're, yes. you're saying hi. Or at the end of the meeting, yes, some people have to rush, but other people, you know, they hang around. How do you replicate that? So another thing that you might want to do is select a number of people in your um, network, the people that you know, and it might be something as um, straightforward or as systematic as making sure you have check-in with them maybe once a month, maybe once every two weeks. Right. So there's something about having or keeping in touch with some of these people on a regular basis because you know, don't we, we fall into, we can fall into the idea that because I see you on our regular team meeting, you know, on Monday at two all the time that I'm in contact with you. But remember, that's the formal space. There's a lot of informal space that we have lost. And it's in that informal space that people who are minorities have the increased chance of being excluded or less visible. I think what you're saying is really bringing chills to my body because, as you said, we were taught to do the operational stuff, the work, the task. And you're now saying that actually for you to rise up in your career, you've got to learn to do the networking which for some people, honestly, they see it as politicking. Indeed. Oh, oh well, we have to have another conversation on politics. <laughs> <laughs> and some people feel like it's insincere. Yes. It's playing oh, a game. Yes. So, so what would you say to somebody who has that in their mind? Like, oh, were you telling me I'm being, in a way, manipulative? It is so true. Uh, All of those things that you're saying are concerns many, many people have. And again, in the resources we can, I can provide you with a toolkit for um, navigating organizational politics as a minority, from a minority ethnic perspective. It's a framework that we use with many of our clients. Thank you. 
very happy to do that. And we, so you talked about the work that we do with Delta Alpha Psi, the, the consultancy, and this theme about navigating organizational politics always comes out when of the conversation about social capital. So spot on, you ask the question that many people have at the back of their minds. So let me start with whether or not you want to do politics, politics will do you. <laughs> Can I say Whoa. something? <laughs> Whether or not you want to do politics, politics will do you. <laughs> wow. So that is, you know, that, that I don't know what else to, like, that is just the entry level information. I think it's just reframing it in your head because I've seen that as sucking up manipulation. Indeed. Indeed. But, you know, as a mom, if I think about it, I know that my children need vegetables so I have to present it and frame it in a way that is palatable to them exactly exactly and what you've just done almost you've talked about like when often when we think about politics exactly like I said a lot of us assume it's negative but actually if we change our minds and look at politics as a spectrum of positive and negative so a range of behaviors where politics is about influence and there's negative influence, which is what we normally, like, you know, sucking up on ethical behavior, da, 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 da. but there's also positive influence, which could be exactly like you said, let me take a moment to think, how can I present this in a way that is compelling? How can I present this in a way that fits your own interests? Because you don't have much time. You don't have, you know, I'm just saying as an example, I'm speaking to you. I have a few minutes to present to my manager's manager a particular position. That person doesn't have much time. That person doesn't have much resources. So it is political, quote unquote, to pause and say, what is the best way to land this message? Because I need to influence this person without formal authority. That is what politics is. And I think what we've, exactly what you've said, what, we've, what we're caught up with is an assumption that politics is negative. Mm. I would say politics is neutral. It's the tactics that you use. It is the tactics that you use that could be positive or negative. Politics is influence. It's social influence. My God, you've said so many things. <laughs> you've just, so for me, it's just made me think we've actually got to put weight in networking as well as the task. And it's reframing it. And I love the way you said it is it's, we've seen politics as one negative, but actually there's a spectrum. I love that analogy. And it could be seen as more influencing for positive change. As far as it doesn't go away from your values. Exactly. It's being clear on your values and your value is to influence change in a positive way. Wow. I love that reframing. Perfect. Perfect. Because when we also think about networking and again, you're, you're just, you're picking up all of the sorts of things that when we're working with people, they're like, oh, but what about, but what about? So these are great questions that you're asking because it's just opening up the conversation in a way that's real for, for your listeners. Because, you know, so 
like you said, politics, we immediately imagine a negative thing. It's a similar thing to networking. And, you know, sometimes I think, okay, what's the other word? That's why you heard me say social capital. Because again, with networking, we have the narrow Im Im um, image. You know, a lot of people think, oh, it's going to an event and going to speak to everybody and giving them my business card and telling them, yes. you know. But actually it's, it's not. It's social. It is... It is, it is the quality of the people who know you and who you know. That's what your network is. It is the, the relationships that you have. It's not an event that you meet people. That's one, one aspect, but it's so much broader. It's your social capital. It's the resource. It's the leverage and resource that you have in the relationships that you hold. You've just made me realize something because um, this is just even remembering when I became head girl in my school mm -hmm. and I was thinking to myself, obviously, I don't even know how I got there. But then I've just, you've just helped me unpack how it is that I made that happen without knowing because I had really good allies who there spoke so well I mean I was the only black girl in my class in my year and I was like out of everybody how did I do this in a you know in a different society I mean heck I came from Nigeria four years ago I didn't understand the culture I didn't understand nothing so how did that happen <laughs> and it's just making me think about it and it's so true it was all about my allies who rooted for me believed in me and pushed me forward and it's so true right and in that being there I was able to influence in a positive way I so love true I love that so how can we do that from home so create those strong relationships yes. and networking yeah I mean so what I about if we've cut yeah. off for some people like I'm I'm a people person right yeah. I really love building relationships and that's me. But what about if somebody's not that kind of person? So how do we beat up from home? What about if I've damaged a lot of relationships? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm kind of sorry to use this word. I'm screwed then <laughs> if I don't have any relationships. So what would you say to that person? Yeah. yeah so um, you know, it, if we have um one or two trusted people in the office we can get some advice from them or in terms of you know people that we work with so for example the thing around interdependent tasks or the thing about having regular um, conversations with people that you already have relationships with you can in those conversations say that um so for example I'm working with someone who's just started a new a new job, but they've started a new job kind of on recommendation from someone else. And so I've said, based on that recommendation, that they should go to that person who's recommended and just say, all right, you know these people. What do you, who are the key people that you think I can, um, you know, I should start to develop a relationship with, um, I should pay attention to. And you can use, uh, and in the same way, through the um, getting interdependent tasks or asking uh, for regular time with people that you know, ask the question. So what I'm saying is exactly like you said, using your allies, ask one or two people for their own advice and to make the introductions and to connect you to people. So use their own, essentially use their own social capital to help you. 
So that's one way you can do, like remember that your own social capital, our own social capital can be easily enhanced by or by the social capital of the people in our network. Right. So that's one thing. But the other thing, um, the, one of the things that's happening is there's lots of um, there's lots of blending of like like social media platforms. You know, a lot of people are using LinkedIn. You might be some people might be on Twitter. Some people might be on Instagram. So there seems to be um, understandably there's been a lot of movement there. So if it is in your own interest you know again be authentic we we have a whole thing around authenticity be authentic and actually just use the opportunity to have a voice for yourself to create a voice and that again can start building on your own uh, social capital out there wow that's it i i have so many other questions to ask you but i know that we're very short for time so i'm going to ask you one more question one last question. You said there are things we could do, but you also noticed that there are things organizations could do. Can I ask as a woman from ethnic minority where, what is it as leaders you could say to somebody who is a leader in an organization, one thing they could do to be more inclusive? One thing, stereotypical in-group leader, so let's say a typical senior white man can do, is increase their confidence about talking about difference. I say that because we are finding out that one of the fundamental reasons that race has not advanced as much as gender is because many senior white men don't know what to do. They're familiar with white women. They know, they kind of get it because they have a mother or a daughter or a sister. Like they kind of get the woman's issue, but usually they think white woman, which is, you know, fine. But they hesitate, they are not confident, they feel they're not tooled. They think it's a good idea, but they don't feel like they can put themselves inside. So what they can do is to become more familiar with what is different. We talk about race confidence, we talk about building race fluency, we talk about um, being, understanding the history understanding the lived experiences. There are many lived experiences of people who are different from you in your organization. Make it personal, make it your own job to understand the experiences, the trends, the patterns, the lives, the language of people who are not like you because the more white men are driven to make a race-inclusive organization, the faster we will address the inequalities at work. You've just made me a role that I took, a senior role. I had a really loving, really lovely boss. He was a white man and he truly wanted to make a difference. But there was a situation that occurred and it hurt him. He really wanted it to change, but he didn't actually know how to make it change. 
So what could he have done? I mean, I spoke to him about the situation, but I didn't feel like he quite understood. So in that conversation with me, what could he have done to understand? And then what actions could he have taken to rectify the situation? Great questions, Omar. And it's not, um, it, it, there isn't, there are many things, um, but it all, it starts with work. And, um, you know, we, we do a lot of work with allies. We help allies understand what it means to be an ally and what actions to take. So, we, there's a model that we use that that's around um, building awareness, then moves on to developing the will, acquiring the skill, and then embedding change. So awareness, will, skill, change. Okay. So for anyone, including the example that you're um, that you're sharing, the first thing is to gather information. Gather information, look at your data, the organization data, look at what is happening in terms of different patterns of progression or promotion or retention or engagement. Get yourself educated, look at reports, look outside your organization. So this is work that that person, that example should do without you, so to speak as a starting point. Now, the reason I say that is because often if I'm speaking to you and you tell me your story and I have no, oh, you and I, you can, we can, we can, we can just for three hours, I'll be like, I agree. I understand. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Right. But for someone who doesn't have similar experience or background, it's difficult for me to hear you. So that's why I'm saying he needs to do that work outside you. Because every time I hear what you tell me, if if I have not had that experience, I will look for ways to downgrade or alternative explanations. And even if I'm a good person, you know, this is not about, it's just how I try. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because that didn't happen to me. That doesn't happen to all my boys either. So it must be in your head. Right. So that's the first thing. So for, I, I, I know I know that doesn't help the example that you've given. But my first thing is always build your awareness and don't build it on one person's story. Go and do the research. Go and do the reading. Now, then there's will. And it seemed like this person had already started a little on the will because now this is the challenge from a psychology perspective. This issue about minority ethnic experiences as a white man it's not that really like you know I have many other things to worry about regardless of how good a person I am so we actually spend some time working with people to actually think through what are your values how are those values playing out in an inclusive organization what does this mean to you because at a subconscious level Unless I, unless I feel that I personally will benefit from working with Oma to make her life better, so many other things will kind of come in the way. So that's will. And so we're actually two stages before skill. So, you know, and I know you're like, what can he do? I'm like, you need to start with awareness. You need to then go to will. 
then you need to get to skill. And then in terms of the skills, it depends. Sometimes, you know, it depends on the situation. Sometimes it's a skill in terms of kind of having those conversations. How do I build my own robustness, resilience to actually um, hear what Omar has said, believe what Omar has said, understand that it is in my own benefit. So that's awareness and this is will. It is in my own benefit to do something about it. And then still in the next meeting, I know you did not give me detail on it, but in the next meeting, if I see it happening, I call out my colleague and I say, hey, Mr. John, that is inappropriate. And I have the skill to recognize it, the language to respond as an example, another example, I'm sitting in an assessment process. I'm looking at the assessment um, decisions and I'm like, ah, this person was almost was as good as this person. Why are you saying this one who looks like everyone of, every one of us is better than this one who doesn't look like every one of us? So the skill to really process that, you know, and investigate the process or uh, like pay closer attention to the process. And again, understand where there's bias built into it because you've said something like, ah, we need someone who's ambitious. We need someone who's a self-starter. All of those language, all of those terms, research shows they trigger masculinity. So if I'm starting to use words in my assessment that, oh yeah, this person is good because they sound like they're a guy, then that's bias. And so again, that's skill. Another example um, in terms of how we use language is we often, um, we often attribute, uh, this is, it's a, it's just stay with me. I'm going to have to use a number of sentences to describe what I'm about to say. I know this is amazing. <laughs> come on. <laughs> like, come on, give it an answer. <laughs> I'll just say, so this, this last one. So, um, so one of the things that we do, it's called the, the and your, your listeners can look it up, the fundamental attribution error. The fundamental attribution error, essentially, it, it means many things, but essentially it means that when I am evaluating something that is different or unusual or unfamiliar, when I'm evaluating that and there is good associated with it, I will say that good is something to do with outside them. It's luck. It is there. They were just, they were just lucky. It was the circumstances they were in and bad. I will attribute it to them. They were not very good. They were unsuccessful. They're not talent. And I do the opposite for things that are familiar. So when I'm evaluating what is familiar, so, so, so for example, you know, let's say both of us went to Birmingham, you know, there's somewhere like Birmingham, that's a great university. Some, some, somebody comes, they went to Birmingham, they did really good work, et cetera, et cetera. And then they're at this job interview with us. Um, we are much more likely to say, ah, that person, that person, that person, look at all of their successes. They're talented. They're good. Da, da, da. And then any bad thing, or, you know, oh, they, they got whatever. They spent too long in this job. Why weren't they progressing fast enough? Oh, it's because they were, the, <laughs> their talent was it. not recognized. Exactly. <laughs> we're so it, it, being able to, just to go back to that skill, I talked about awareness. I talked about will. I talked about skill. That there are many things that you can start doing in terms of your own behavior, your own understanding, your own attitude in order to try to decode as a, as a, a for example, as a white man, as a senior white man to say, okay, I am, 
I am arming myself so that it's not about Omo anymore. It's about me changing, being an inclusive leader in this organization. And then we're not going to go into it. The last stage is embedding the change. There are many things that we need to do to make it so it's not just that one individual that's doing it, but we're helping the organization um, embed the change so it's sustainable. Thank you so much. You've said so much information. How can people get hold of you? Really, I, I want to take you to every place, like every workplace I've been to. I'm like, you need her. You need her. <laughs> because honestly, this has been amazing. How can people get a hold of you? Oh, oh it's, it's been a real pleasure. So you can look me up on LinkedIn. You can look me up on Google. Um, uh, the organization, our organization is Delta Alpha Psi. We do a lot of executive coaching for minority ethnic professionals. We work with organizations um, to do allies, leadership development, and all of that information is on the internet. So very happy for any anyone, any of your listeners to contact us and say, well, you know, let's have a conversation and we'll do what we can to, to support because we're all about creating more different types of leaders. Oh, thank you so much for the work you do. And I really want to wish you well in your new position at Oxford University as Dean. You're such an inspiration and thank you for doing the work that you do. Thank you so much, Omar. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you've loved what you've heard, which I'm sure you have, then please go ahead and share the love, leave a review and subscribe. I would love to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your aha moments and your breakthroughs. You can connect with me on social media, on Instagram or Facebook by searching for Dr. Okoje Omo Okunkwo. You can find my details on the show notes. I'd love to add you to our Facebook United Sisters group where you'll get a daily dose of inspirational thoughts and insights. I can't wait to connect with you on our next episode. But until then, go out there, be bold, be beautiful and just be you.